Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewery on Historic Bridge Street in Waco. Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco I'm safe when I reach San Antonio Welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. Uh, this episode is a little different. It comes from an interview I conducted last year with uh, Cullen Smith, a uh, local attorney, uh, civic leader, uh, president of the State Bar of Texas. Uh, he has a list of accolades uh, that I covered in a life history interview with him last year that you can find in the collections of the Institute for Oral History. Uh, this particular segment that I want to share with you today uh, connects to an effort he was involved in uh, in the early 1970s. Uh, this is with the approval and support of the U.S. State Department. Uh, he negotiated on two occasions with representatives of the North Vietnamese government over the treatment of POWs and MIAs. And the local manifestation of that work uh, on the committee and group that he served with, which included trips overseas, is the Freedom Fountain, which still stands, uh, remains in its original location, tucked behind uh, the uh, Hilton Inn and the Waco Convention Center. You may have seen that structure uh, that has freedom in 54 different languages. Here, from the interview with Cullen Smith, you're going to find out the history behind the Freedom Fountain. You know, the Vietnam conflict had gone on for years, and other countries had tried to keep communism from growing in Vietnam without success and I think we were almost brought into it accidentally but we it and it grew and it grew and it didn't seem to be going anywhere and controversy began to arise about whether we should be there some people said we weren't really trying to win and that was the problem others said we couldn't possibly win it was poorly managed and the americans weren't told the truth and it just seemed to go on and on and in the meantime uh, they were shooting down our pilots And I believe uh, we ended up maybe with more than a thousand people either killed or captured of our pilots. It was dangerous work. And a large percentage of those people were uh, graduates of the, of the Navy or, or the Air Force. 
but nobody seemed to be paying any attention to all those people. Uh, Vietnam wouldn't say who they had and didn't have. And Ross Perot, in some way, got interested in that. Uh, he was very uh, concerned about Americans and about his employees. And you may remember that he personally financed a, 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 uh, a raid to recapture some of his employees that had been held somewhere. I don't mm -hmm. remember where it was. Sure. So it wasn't really a surprise to me that he was, was interested in trying to do something about those prisoners. And apparently he came up, or someone under his direction came up with the idea that since the United States did not seem to be making any progress in dealing with the prisoners or the Vietnam, that maybe communities could, that maybe they would understand communities more than they understood the nation. Mm. So he began, uh, he had a team, he began trying to interest these communities in doing that. And several did become involved in doing that, including Waco. So Waco began this organ, this uh, uh, program to get uh, uh, letters and resolutions and anything they could in writing to uh, present to the North Vietnamese about uh, their treatment of prisoners. So Waco began a program like that, and I got a call from Linda Hamilton who asked if she and uh, Pat Hall could come see me. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course I said, sure. And they came up to the office and they began to describe the program. And they said, what do you think of this program? And I said, well, it sounds okay to me, something like that. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we've come to ask you if you would be chairman of the, uh, of the program. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I'm an old Marine. I, I generally favor what the government wants to do militarily. Uh, I, would, I would do it, but only if the federal government says they think it's a good idea. So I don't know how, I don't remember the details, but I got invited to the State Department in Washington. <laughs> and I flew up there and I have a photograph of the entrance there with all of those flags of the nations that are that we recognize. And I went there was I was taken to the seventh floor, which I think is their main floor. Mm -hmm. uh, I was sitting there and uh, I get a little impatient sitting 
So I got up and started to walk around, and boy, bells went off right and left, and doors began to close, and so I quickly sat back down. Uh, so one of the members of the U.S. delegation uh, introduced himself, and uh, I went into this conference room, and and he was familiar with our program, and he said, uh, uh, we would like for you to do it, if you will. We think it's a good program. He said, now I can't, can't tell you what to do. You'll have to do it all yourself. But I think I took a number of pages of notes after that of mm -hmm. what he said we might do. So I came back and uh, began to try to put a team together. And my idea was that we would, we would try to put together a team that someone in that team might catch the attention of the North Vietnamese or think we could, maybe we could communicate with them better. Mm -hmm. So we had minorities, we had the, uh, uh, you know, the, the students, boy, the students were really, I thought, terrible in their protest of the Vietnam War. So we had the president of the Baylor mm -hmm. student body, somebody from MCC, Carol Fidel from Richfield High School. We had Jack Flanders you know, I'm sure, mm -hmm. who had been a fighter pilot in World War II and later the minister at First Baptist and taught at Baylor. Fine, fine man. Dick Moore, representing the Red Cross. Apparently, Linda Hamilton also represented the Red Cross. Uh, Nadine Baldwin, a school teacher. Uh, at any rate, we ended up with 13 people. Harry Provence, mm -hmm. the editor of the paper, and Carl May, who was scheduled to be the next mayor. And then we began trying to learn all we could about Vietnam. We, we found some missionaries that had been there, and we invited them to come talk to us. Uh, tell us about customs and habits and things like that. Uh, all this time, my, pos my position and then the position of the group was we would not take a stand on the war. Mm. We would not take a stand on the war. And of course, I knew different people on the group had different views. And sometimes someone would kind of get into that and we would say, oh, no, we're not going to do that. We will not take a stand on the war. Uh, so uh, so you wanted to keep the focus on, on treatment. The prisoners, the oh, treatment of the prisoners. prisoners. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we had some people from military people that had been there, and they talked to us about their treatment and we felt we had a, a pretty good course in Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, so then 
And all this time, there was a lot of publicity, and the whole town was very supportive. And we, we had these letters and contributions raised to pay for the trip. And we picked out the day we would go, which was two or three days before Easter uh, in 1971. And I, I feel sure it was through Ross Perot's group. They suggested that we send a telegram to uh, the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese saying we were coming to visit with them, but to leave before they would have time to reply not to come. Mm -hmm. So we could say, well, we told you we were coming and we didn't hear from you. A mm -hmm. uh, Ross Perot's group also suggested that we stay at the Hilton because the Hilton had a, the telephone system where you could uh, call a room directly and not have to go through an operator. Mm. There was a lot of thought went into this program. Mm -hmm. So we got over there, and they had also suggested the uh, interpreter that we would use. Uh, and he began on the phone. We, well, we checked in, you know, and, and uh, he began on the phone, and we told the American Embassy we were there. We'd probably told them before we were there. And so uh, they uh, had all 13 of us go to the uh, embassy and where we met uh, Ambassador Bruce, who was the chairman of the American delegation and the same young man that I'd talked to in Washington. Mm. And they told us uh, what some of the issues were, what 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 the status was of the uh, official delegation, uh, and what they would like for us to stress, and what they would like for us to try to find out. And it was a, a fairly long meeting while they went into that. For example, they wanted us to try to get the the uh, North Vietnamese to call our prisoners uh, prisoners, not bandits or crooks mm -hmm. or, and various phrases and try to see if there was a softness in this or how they responded to that. Uh, so uh, we finally got a call well, we talked to the interpreter, we talked to him, we explained all the different people we had there trying to interest them. We never could contact the Viet Cong, but after a number of phone calls, finally they said, uh, we can come and we said, well, who? And they said, three people, and you pick out the three. So 
it became rather logical, I guess, that Harry Province, the editor, Carl May, the incoming mayor, and I as the chairman would go. Uh, they had conditions about no press, no publicity about it. So we, uh, we went to this little park about a block away, all 13 of us, and then uh, the three of us walked down, and there's a photograph of us walking down to the embassy. We knew who would open the door through Ross Perot's group. Mm -hmm. We knew a, a good deal about them. Uh, and we were uh, ushered upstairs to this fairly large room and we sat down there. There's been a there'd been a good deal of publicity about uh, spying and uh, uh, microphones in in light fixtures and all. Mm -hmm. So we were there. We wanted to talk to each other, like the three of us here, but <laughs> we didn't think we ought to talk about anything important, you know, because we thought the other side was listening. So they came in, there was an interpreter, a, two active people, and a third man that we never found out who he was. Mm. And the, the two people we were talking to mostly, I thought, were more worried about what that fellow thought <laughs> than what we thought. Mm -hmm. And you begin to realize that, you know, you may think, I'm going in and tell them what to do. But you begin to realize that that's not going to work. You have to try to explain to them that if they will do something you want them to do, that they'll benefit from it. Mm -hmm. uh, Sounds but, like it sounds like a good job for a lawyer. That's right, and, and it and and I'm glad you said that because that th those people on the permanent delegation they couldn't really do anything because they were trying to each side was not going to be reasonable. I mean, it was an argument. They didn't get anywhere. But we could really talk to the people. Mm -hmm. I think the delegation would have loved to be sitting in that room with us while we went back and forth, back and forth. You know, they'd say, don't threaten us. And we'd say, that's not a threat, that's a fact. You know, uh, so in that, uh, during that discussion, they said that we were treating their prisoners, I mean, their prisoners that we held worse than they treated ours, and they were treating ours uh, very well. Uh, the, uh, so I said, well, we, we can't speak for the government because we're not part of it. But I would be happy to talk to the, the United States government to try to get permission for you to visit 
the prison camps that the United States had if you would let us visit the prison camps you have and see if the if you're really treating our prisoners the, the way you say you are. And then when I got back here, I wrote them a letter confirming that discussion. Uh, so at any rate, the, that, now one of the things we had learned through the missionaries was that the uh, North Vietnamese people were very courteous and that they would probably offer us tea and as long as we continued to drink the tea uh, they would be reluctant to stop the discussion. So we drank tea till the world was level uh, while the discussion went and it went into all sorts of things about the the particular prisoners that we were, or people we were interested in, were they alive or dead, or what was happening to them? Why don't you, why don't you release the names? Uh, a whole gauntlet of discussion about all of these things, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, the uh, so finally. Uh, I think we were there about three hours. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. And drinking that tea. Now, one of the interesting things is during our meeting, a fight broke out, I think, on the stairways. And we never acted like we noticed it. And they acted, never acted like they noticed it. But you could hear these people, well, they were fighting. You get them falling and hitting against the wall, and we still have no idea what that was about. But uh, so it came to an end, and we were leaving, and they had refused. We had brought all of these letters and cards and all, showing the support of Waco citizens, uh, and they refused to take them. Well, I wanted to get up and get out. It was done. Seemed to me that was the proper thing. We would get up and leave. But I couldn't find Carl May. And so finally he, he showed up and he said, I've left the letters. He had hidden them somewhere. Uh, so we then going down the stairs and we go up to this park and the rest of the delegation of course is very anxious to know all about it and all we wanted was to find a restroom <laughs> i mean we were desperate to find a restroom <laughs> so and then uh the uh, state department picked us up again the three of us now mm -hmm. and we we were debriefed for quite a long period of time. They showed us these photographs and we could identify every person except that one man. Hmm. And so we still don't know who he was, or but well, he was pretty high up. And also I would say, well, you began to realize with this man taking down everything we say that, that these 
people in the room are not going to make the decision. Mm -hmm. Well, you're talking to someone who's going to read that record, mm -hmm. not the, to these people directly. Uh, so then, coming back, did you did you uh, tour any? Did you kind of? Yeah, yeah. we did. We uh, we uh, while we were trying to. Uh, talk to them, you know, it'd be ours. So we went to uh, what is that place outside of Paris? Versailles. Versailles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we went through Versailles and I, I got a good photograph of a, a French horseman riding around the, the, what is the, that that monument there in Paris. Eiffel Tower or uh, the uh, Arc de Triomphe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which was, was was displayed at the Waco Chamber office here for quite a while after that was over. Uh, so the we went. The three of us went back, and they told us, asked us everything in detail. How did they act when you said this? What did you say about that? What I mean, it's a very thorough investigation. And then they they told us these are the things we don't mind you saying. Here are things we'd appreciate it if you didn't tell the press or anybody else about the discussion. I don't remember what the difference is, and I don't remember that I knew the difference. But they had had a request, and we tried to comply with that. Then we had a press conference, which was pretty well covered, I think. Uh, you know, Waco uh, w was one of a few cities that 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 were, were able to talk to them. Mm -hmm. uh, so on the way back, we began talking about well, what can we do to uh, 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 stress the importance of freedom and how it works and. So uh, soon, uh, at some point, and I don't remember whether it was on the flight or two weeks later, but some way it was the idea was developed that we would uh, build a fountain based on public contributions uh, in celebration of freedom. Mm -hmm. And it would not have a plaque or a sign or it would be, but it would have the word freedom in as many different languages as we could find. And they, uh, we began a public campaign to raise the money and we had wonderful support. I mean, in these files you'll find a, somebody who writes, I'm enclosing $75 from the five employees or it was it was a community effort that people were very proud of, and we got the fountain built, and then it was dedicated in 1974, I believe, or 73. What? At any rate, I I have skipped a chapter. Uh, uh, I was back, I was in London for a meeting and I had my daughter Risher, who is here, her 
sister Elizabeth, younger sister, and Mickey, and we were in London. In Paris. Well, we were in London, and so we went to Paris, and I called the uh, North Vietnamese Embassy, uh, introduced myself, and said I wanted to come see them. And they said, well, they would be happy to have me, but uh, they didn't have an interpreter, so I'd have to have an interpreter. So I talked to the hotel and said, would you try to find me somebody who speaks English and French and be an interpreter? And they found a man. And uh, uh, he told me, he said, I'm an American citizen. I haven't done anything for the government in 20 years. I live here in Paris and I would like to try to do something. I will be your interpreter. So I called him back and said, I, we have an interpreter, we're ready to come. And they said, well, we don't know him, but Mr. and Mrs. Smith can come. Now, Mrs. Smith had never entered into any conversation. And I have no idea what that meant. But they said Mr. and Mrs. Smith can come, so I went to the, our hotel room and I told Mickey, uh, you've got to come with me to the, uh, talk to the North Vietnamese. And we, of course, had Richard and Elizabeth there, and we told them uh, the, the phone number of the American Embassy and what to do if we didn't come back in four hours or some period of time. Uh, and so we went to the embassy and I reminded them of my letter and offer and I hadn't heard from them and what was the deal on that. And they said, well, we were going to agree to that, but uh, your government tried to rescue some prisoners and so of course we can't agree to that. Of course they were never going to agree to it. They would never, they didn't care a whit about their prisoners, I mean, that we captured. Mm -hmm. They didn't want them back because they might learn something about capitalism or freedom. At any rate, that was, we, we met and had that discussion and then again, oh, and I asked the, the uh, uh, or the people at the embassy, was there anything they wanted me to find out or say or do? And they said that the uh, North Vietnamese had announced that they were uh, interested in a prison exchange. And I don't remember whether it was related to peace or not. I'm not sure about that right now. But uh, And try to find out if they were serious about that and how it would work. Hmm. And they told me that, you know, that they really would like to do that and they were serious about it. And that here's how they would release the prisoners. First, those that were sick, and then the order in which they had been captured with the ones there the longest released first. Well, that's exactly what happened.
Mm-hmm. But it was two years yeah. later. So I believe that's, oh, well, the, uh, uh, <laughs> you may know that later, well, I, 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 we dedicated the uh, fountain and we were particularly interested in George Powell, I believe his name was Powell, of Gatesville, uh, Ron Hall, whose wife Pat was the one that came to see me, and Ron Bliss. And it turned out that Powell had been killed, I think, in the crash of his plane, but I'm not sure about that. But both George Hall and Ron Bliss were at the delegation with their wives and children. And that was very, very exciting. Mm-hmm. And you just can't believe how happy everybody was about that. And after uh, that, uh, the meeting was over and all, Ron Bliss told me, he said, Cullen, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I said, well, why don't you think about going to law school? Well, it turned out he did go to law school. He went to the Baylor Law School, graduated, went to Fulbright and Jaworski in Houston, and eventually became head of their intellectual property section. Mm. A very successful lawyer. Wonderful. And Ron played a large part in putting together the history of the, the people that were prisoners of war. Mm. Those, those men went through terrible situations and for the most part stood up very bravely under terrible circumstances. Mm. We can't begin to appreciate what they went through. So that's about the story. Yeah, I'd like to go back just as you remember, because the fountain still stands there. It's in a yeah. different spot. but No, it's in the well, same spot, but yeah, reconstructed. Reconstructed, yeah. 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 Uh, I remember we were debating spots a few years ago when they were yeah, redoing that's right. it. That's right, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, um, as the group talked, uh, just why, why y'all wanted something permanent? Because you could have come back and, you know, just called the work done, but you, you wanted something permanent there. Can you talk a little bit about the motivations? Well, I think we were all very impressed with the beauty of Paris. And they have fine fountains and sculpture. And so that was fresh on our mind. And I think it all it caused us to appreciate more than we normally would uh, how lucky we are to be in the United States and the importance of freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, I just grew out of that. I don't remember much more about it. Well, so if a kid sees that fountain today, what do you want them to, to think about? 
Well, we had hoped that it would kind of speak for itself. Mm -hmm. It doesn't quite meet our expectations for some reason, uh, which I don't really understand. But uh, it is a, you know, the, it's worldwide. The, mm -hmm. All these countries have a word for freedom. Mm -hmm. And we have freedom in a lot of the world, maybe less now than before, have freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, but we need to appreciate it and acknowledge it. We don't, we don't really understand the value of what we have in uh, this country. As a general group, I mean, mm -hmm. we don't. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's still part of our community. Well, I family. am too, yeah, yeah, I'm too. Glad to have had some role in it. Cross the Brazos and Waco Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. <laughs>